0: Well, we're in the middle of this series called Epic Story, and our goal in this series is to look at the major storyline that runs throughout the Bible. We're not taking the time to walk through everything um, verse by verse. What we're doing is we're trying to understand what is the major epic storyline running through the pages of Scripture and unpack the most important key themes so that we can get a, a firmer grip on, on the story God is telling. Also, to get a firmer grip on the Bible and hopefully, for some, get a clear understanding of where to find things in the Bible. How does this all fit together? And so we're obviously not answering all the questions that you have, and we're not covering everything. We're actually, now we're really starting to, to move. Last week I said we're going to kind of pull forward a lot faster and, and, and plow a lot further into the Bible. Today we're doing the same thing. We're, we're covering a lot more ground. And so we're going to look at a dramatic dramatic rescue scene in the Bible. So when it comes to rescue scenes, I I don't know if you like rescue movies, but here's some familiar rescue movies. You've got Rescue the Princess, right? In Star Wars, Rescue Princess Leia. Black Hawk Down is is about rescuing soldier. And you've also got Apollo 13, Rescue the Astronauts in Space. You know, this doesn't happen very often, but, you know, they made a movie about this, and this, this was a great movie. It's a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you need to watch Apollo 13. And for some of you, Toy Story 2, you know, rescue Woody. So Buzz takes the crew out and they go rescue their, their pal Woody. And, but these, these stories are fun. They're fun to watch. Now, the Bible has some amazing rescue scenes. They, they all really happened. But as we read through some of the rescue scenes in the Bible, they are just, they're unbelievable because God himself comes through in a supernatural way to, to rescue and to recover. And so, in this series, like I said, we're trying to cover a lot of ground. I hope what this has done is encourage you to read the Bible more for yourself. I mean, we've covered some things. I hope that you will take the time to begin to dig into Scripture for yourself. And that this series would kind of pique your interest towards that. And if if you need help with learning, okay, where do I start in the Bible? I'm I'm new to this. I don't know exactly where to start. On the back of your connection card, just, just write, where do I start in reading the Bible? On the comment section. Put that in the offering. We'll we'll follow up with you. We can give you some things to help guide that process. We'd love to have one of our staff members sit down with you and just walk you through a game plan on, you know, hey, here's how I do this, and here's some different ways to do this, and we'd love to come alongside you in your growth. Uh, But catching up on where we've been so far, the first week we looked at the resurrection of Jesus. And then from there, we backed up. Now, the resurrection, we read about it in in the Gospels, so that's the New Testament. In the books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we read different eyewitness accounts of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's really the climax of God's epic story. But then we backed up to the very beginning of the Bible. We looked at the creation. and. We covered what God made and how He made everything that we see and know and then He made people. But then in the third week we looked at how everything took a horrible turn when humans chose to sin against God. But God still has a plan to redeem despite our sin. And so last week what we looked is, we looked at a man named Abraham and his life and he was a man that God said, I choose you and I want to make you the father of a blessed group of people. Through you and your descendants, I want to bless all of the earth. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you and your faith. And so, Abraham was a man that stepped forward in faith, and he just kept stepping forward. So today what I want to do is I want to look at what happened between the life, from the life of Abraham, and then zoom in on the events and the life surrounding Moses. Okay, so we're going to go from Abraham to Moses and focus in on Moses today. Now, because of sin and its consequences... This whole nation-building project that God promised to Abraham, I'm going to build a great nation. You're going to be a great nation, he said. You're going to be the father of many. I'm going to build a nation through you. Everyone on earth is going to be blessed through you. Now, this whole nation-building project, because of sin and its consequences, God was still working out his plan. But now, because of sin, this plan included hard times and much character development. So God's people experienced some very extreme and rough circumstances as they began to multiply and grow and grow. And when we left off, Abraham was in Canaan. He had been obedient to God. God provided a substitute, sacrifice, in place of Abraham's son Isaac. And so we left off there. Abraham was in Canaan, and all of his descendants... Now, at this point where we're going to get to in the book of Exodus book of Exodus, are now in Egypt. And so from uh, the middle of Genesis to the beginning of Exodus, a lot of years have passed since Abraham. Uh, Egypt was a foreign land. It was not likely the place where the the Israelites would expect themselves to be. Abraham's descendants thought God's blessing would come in a different way, but circumstances dictated their relocation into er, into Egypt. And in Egypt, God raised up a man named Joseph. Now, Joseph was Abraham's great grandson, okay? So the promise was given to Abraham. You're going to be the father of nations. All the world's going to be blessed through you. His, through his great grandson, Joseph, another thing is going to happen here. Uh, Joseph is given a position of influence in the country of Egypt. He is given the position of, he's the second in charge in, in the land of Egypt, just under Pharaoh. God had a plan and he sent Joseph ahead of the Israelites, basically, of Abraham's descendants. He sent Joseph ahead into Egypt in order to provide for God's people so that they could survive. Now, I'm not going to go into all the storyline of of how this happened, but this this act of God sending Joseph ahead into Egypt is something that is known as providence. Okay, Providence is the protective care of God. It's the fact that God has timely, uh, he, he, he sends timely preparation for the future. Okay? God is, through his hand, you just see him providing what is needed. Oftentimes, years ahead of the need is actually there. God has a plan and he's working something out. He's providing something so that people would be in the right place in order to take care of what's needed next. And so, this is the way things happened with Joseph. Joseph, the great-grandson of Abraham, there's a Broadway play that tells the story of Joseph. It's called Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. I don't know if you've seen this, but a lot of dancing. And they, they really, you know, make a lot of, you know, they, they have a lot of fun with the story. If you want the straight story, just read the Bible on that. It's <laughs> Genesis 37 through 50, okay? It's a significant part of the book of, Je- book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. But in Genesis 37 through 50, you see how Abraham's great-grandson has 12 brother. He has got a bunch of brothers. He's got you know, 11 brothers, and basically they're jealous of him because he's the favorite. And he gets sold by them into a band of passing slave traders. Eventually, he lands through a bunch of turns in his life. He's eventually landing in Egypt, and he rises to the ranks of second in command of the whole country. Now, you would look at Joseph's story and think, man, poor poor guy, everything, you know, no good, horrible, terrible, rotten day. You know, that was Joseph's story when you read through it. But what God was doing is he providentially positioned Joseph exactly where he wanted him. And so God's provision really remained on Abraham's descendant, descendants because of Joseph. As second in command of the country, God, God told Joseph there's going to be a famine in the land. And your job is to store up grain so that basically everybody that is dealing with this famine would have food. And so for years and years, they stored up. They had a plan under Joseph's direction to store up grain. And so in Egypt, they did this. Now, again, Joseph is not an Egyptian. Okay, He's one of the Israelites, but God sent him ahead. So he's there. He's leading this, this plan to, to store up one day his brother's show up in Egypt looking for food years later. I'm sure they thought their brother was dead at this point. Or who knows what what they totally believed happened. But they arrive there looking for food because their father said, I heard there's food in Egypt. Go and journey. Now, Joseph's brothers show up and they're in line and, and Joseph spots them. And he, he he pretends like he doesn't know them and he, he plays the role of this high-ranking Egyptian official. And... Um, he basically plays a little bit of a game on them, he, if you, you can read through the story. And he eventually wants to know if his father's alive, if all the brother's alive. And, and God, or he sets it up that the whole family would travel back and and, and show up in Egypt. And then he reveals his identity to them, basically says, I'm Joseph, I'm your brother. Now you can imagine, they're freaking out at this point, because they think we're in big trouble. We have sold our brother into slavery, now he can have our heads at this point. And Joseph forgives them on the spot. And he said, you intended this for, for harm, but God meant this for good. He sent me ahead of, of, of all of you. This was his plan to send me ahead of all of you in order to provide the saving of many people's lives. And this is what God does. is He's working out a plan. So that's Joseph's great-grandson. And because of that, God's protection and, and just hand of blessing remained on Abraham's descendant's For all of those years. But once Joseph died, the pharaohs in Egypt decided it was no longer advantageous to allow uh, the Israelites to just remain in Egypt without a price. And so what what happened was uh, Joseph's brothers and his family journeyed. They stayed in that area. They started multiplying. So now all the Israelites just started multiplying there in Egypt. But it got to a point where eventually there was a pharaoh who rose up who who knew nothing about Joseph and who knew nothing about how God had provided through Joseph's leadership for Egypt's survival, for for Israel's survival. And so once that happened, there was all of these uh, Israelites there in the land of Egypt. And the Pharaoh at that point just decided, that we're letting all these Israelites live among us with no price tag. That's That's not going to happen anymore. And so the Israelites were enslaved for 430 years. Okay? And they, but they continued to multiply fast. God was blessing them and so they were multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And during this period of time, the Israelites were now, which is Abraham's descendants, were now just slaves in the land of Egypt. And God was using this time to humble His people. He was using His time to develop their faith as they were being held slaves in, in captivity. And here's, here's what happens. As you and I follow God, we end up, Oftentimes, finding ourselves in wait mode. You find ourselves in the wait mode. You find yourself just hoping and trusting and waiting for God to come through and to provide what He's promised. I have found myself in this place many, many times where I'm just waiting for God to come through. And I've learned this in ministry and I've learned this in family life that oftentimes when I arrive at the waiting mode, I have to conclude I know that God, you are faithful. I know you are faithful, but for now, We just wait and see how this is going to work out. We wait and see. And this is what is happening in these years for the Israelites. They're waiting and... Let's wait and see. Now, the advantage of knowing God is that He strengthens us through these hard times. If you're going through a wait and see season of your life, just know this. The Lord never wastes circumstances. He never wastes them. And... The Israelites they found themselves in horrendous circumstances, out of their control. Now, can you imagine being enslaved in a foreign land, and at the same time holding on to hope that God was somehow going to come through and rescue you and bless you through this? I'm sure it was confusing to them. Sure, it was confusing, but they must have repeated the promise that God made to Abraham, the father of of their nation, when he said, "I'll make you into a great nation." In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, if that were us, we'd probably be thinking this. Man, if this is the blessing train, you know, let me off at the next stop. I'm done with this. This isn't, this isn't looking good. Yet God is faithful. God is working. And this is where Moses steps in. Okay, so let's look at the life of Moses. He's a man at the age of 80. He's one of the descendants of Abraham. And God raises Moses up to deliver the Israelites out of captivity. Now, again, 430 years, they had been enslaved now in Egypt. And Moses is the man that God appoints to deliver them. The story picks up in the book of, of Exodus. And, and I'm going to look at Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 12. And so you can flip there if you like. Overall, we find this. We find that God keeps His promise from generation to generation. This, is a, this is story is a testimony again of God's faithfulness. God just keeps His word. He will keep His word to us from generation to generation. After all these years in slavery, God takes, He takes action to deliver His people from slavery. Look at verse one, says this, Exodus six, verse one. But the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Moses. For with a strong hand He will send them out, and with a strong hand He will drive them out of His land. The Lord told Moses that deliverance was coming and that he would be the one that God was going to use to lead God's people out of slavery. And Moses responded just like all of us would respond when we're asked to serve God in a way that makes us feel inadequate. That is this. God, how could I do this? Why would you choose me? The call of Moses, and you can read about Moses' call. It's in Exodus chapter 3. You've got the burning bush encounter. Moses is like, God, why would you choose me? How can you do this through me? And people all throughout the Bible have had a really similar response. I've had a very similar response at points when God has said, I need you to do something. Or he's, he's placed something on my heart as I've studied the, the Bible or as I've been in prayer. Like God's put something very clearly in my path. and says, This is a step I want you to take. And, and I t- I'm tempted to say, God, choose someone else. Or I- I'm inadequate. I-, I don't have what it takes to-, to follow you at that level. But God always has the same answer for us it's it's, I will be with you he said that to Moses said that to Abraham Jesus promised this to his disciples I will be with you and so Moses he could not see how he was going to be a part of God's plan of delivering millions of people now from captivity he felt underqualified he felt overwhelmed by the prospect of leading and whenever we feel this way God is about to do his best work if you'll, if you'll step in faith. Whenever you feel inadequate and underprepared, underqualified, and scared, God's about to do something major in your life to grow your faith. Look at verse 2. God spoke to Moses and he said to him, I, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Notice what what God does to strengthen Moses for the effort that he's about to lead. He reminds him of the promise that he made to Abraham. He says, look, I'm the same God I have not forgotten. I will provide the way I always have provided for every generation. I was faithful to Abraham and his son Isaac. And Jacob, I am the same God. I can do this. Whenever, you know, what we see here is that the scope of God's work, it bridges across many generations. From one generation, it's building onto the next generation. This is how God works, from generation to generation to generation. He's trying to help Moses see that obeying God and leading the people at this point in history flows out of, it flows out of the past. And it sets, what he does through Moses will set people up in the future. This is the way it is in family life. This is the way it, in church, in, it is in church life. One generation builds on the foundation of the former one. And it sets up for the next one. It could do this for good or bad. One generation can, can set up a foundation that's harmful and, and destroy something in the future. Or one, one generation can build a successful, obedient Foundation that really blesses the very next generation, whether it's family life, church life, organizationally. We understand that. We, we see that in the world. Now, our choices today have a tremendous generational impact. Don't think for a moment that, you know, individualism in our country is promoted all over the place. Just be you, live for you, focus on you. Individualism blinds us From this issue that we see in the scripture of generationalism. That we aren't just existing for ourselves. That God is working out a plan through your life to reach the next generation. We play a crucial role in that. Look at verses 5 through 8. Moreover, he says, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel. This is what God says. I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves. And I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. Now, he makes these promises. Here's a breakdown of the promises of God here. I will lift you out from under your burdens. I'm going to lift you up out from under these burdens. Second, I'm going to be your deliverer. I will deliver you from slavery. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. God's saying, I have the power to redeem you. I will buy you back. You're enslaved. There's a price on your head. I will buy you back. And then he says this. I will be your God and you will be my people. And Moses, he's given this assignment. This is what I want you to say. God is saying, go tell the people this. And so at this point, he needs to relay these words to Israel. And now check out, as he relays these words, in verse 9, it says this. 6-9 reads, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. From the Israelites... Point of view, everything was messed up. From their position, things were in chaos. They lost their freedom. They lost their identity. They lost their ability to really practice their faith the way that they would have wanted to. They had lost loved ones. Their spirits were broken, just like mine and yours would have been if we were in their shoes. But we can again see in history how sin and the fallen world really impacts our circumstances. And our relationships. Now, now, what does this mean for us? What does this story mean for us? What are, how do God's promises to them relate to us? We actually still need a rescuer. We need to be delivered. We're not literally held captives by anyone. But, but still, we can find ourselves imprisoned on different levels. Sin enslaves us. Sin is very real. Our propensity to do wrong. It's, it's right there before us. It wants to get us. We can be driven by anger, we can be driven by jealousy, we can be struck with fear. Circumstances can overwhelm us in the moment, and we can feel enslaved to our circumstances. And when we're caught up in sin or when we're we're deep in circumstances, what we're tempted to do is just rely on ourselves and to not rely on God. We can react just like the Israelites. God, you couldn't do this. How could you possibly help? They didn't want to listen to Moses. They didn't want to to hear any part of what God was about to do. Because in their book, and oftentimes in our book, it's just too late. So how how are you overwhelmed? What are you imprisoned by? Here's, Here's the good news. God keeps working this. He keeps working to deliver his people from slavery. Even before the story of Moses, you see this truth. God keeps working to deliver his people from slavery. Another example of God's providence, Moses, you know, providence, that God sent him ahead. He sent ahead the resources of the people that were needed. Moses is another great example of God's providence. Because Moses was an adopted son of Pharaoh. The Pharaoh, who, who in an effort to just slow down the growth of the Israelites, decided to wipe out, you know, many of the children of of the Israelites and Moses's mother out of love for her son put this little baby in a in a little basket and sent him on the Nile River and God's you know providential plan was that his basket would arrive near the banks where you know Pharaoh's family could recover Moses and raise Moses in the land as you know As their own. And he would rise up to be a leader in that country. So Moses, God was working. Moses heads back to the place, really, that he was raised. To the palace, basically. To inform Pharaoh about God's intent to deliver the Israelites. And so he says, look, I'm going to lead God's people out of the land. God wants you to know you need to let everybody go. (laughs) Now, it's just not like a small group of people. This is two and a half to three and a half million people. That's the estimate. Two and a half to three and a half million Israelites were being held as slaves. And they had become as numerous as the stars. That was the promise God gave to Abraham, that your descendants would multiply and be as numerous as the stars. Pharaoh, he proceeds to play games. He thinks he has all the power. He does not want to bend his knee to this God. He doesn't factor God in. He doesn't factor God's purpose or His plan in. Pharaoh just stubbornly refuses to let the Israelites go. No, you're not going to let... Nobody's going anywhere. His heart was hardened and calloused against the Lord because he had forgotten about Joseph. The story of Joseph wasn't... It wasn't... He wasn't factoring that in. He didn't factor in God's kindness to the Egyptians. And instead of repaying God's people for God's kindness, he just... He took it out on them. He dominated them. He enslaved them. And so what God was doing now is He was rescuing and recovering His people. So God responds by doing this. He sends a series of plagues upon Egypt. We're not going to read them all. You can read about these in Exodus 7-12. through So the plagues in Egypt were horrendous. When you read through them, they were horrendous. These were all miraculous signs and acts of God that Moses warned against. Pharaoh would not yield. God would send a plague, and Moses would say, Okay, God said now that you're gonna there's gonna be the plague of blood. The Nile would turn to blood. But still, Pharaoh wouldn't let the people go. So then Moses goes back, Okay, now there's gonna be a plague of frogs. And frogs would just cover the land of Egypt. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, he would not let people go, and so on and on. Moses is pleading. God says, let my people go. Moses is like, no, we're not going to. Okay. Well, next God says there will be a plague of gnats, and then a plague of flies, and a plague on the livestock, and, a, and boils. And all of these, many of these are connected. The, the, the results of some leads to the next plague. But God is doing and working and act a miraculous rescue through this. Boils and hail, and then locusts, and then darkness. But then God sends a final plague, the plague of the firstborn. Now, the plague of the firstborn, it's a picture foreshadowing the need for a substitute. When you read through the story, it's it's found in Exodus... uh, Let's see, we're looking at Exodus 12. Now, Exodus 12, verses 21 through 25. The final plague here is the very worst one. It brought judgment on the firstborn sons of the Egyptians. The reason why, and we're not going to have time to really cover all this, but the reason why is because the authority of any group, the authority of a family, the authority of a nation. The authority greatly impacts the people under them. And so what we see here in history is that, and we see that playing out in our days, Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to cooperate with God at this point was extremely costly for his people. It cost his people dearly. And so God gives Moses instructions to, to ensure that as this final plague would be striking the land, God's people would be spared if they'd follow these instructions. And in these instructions, there's a core piece of the message of God's epic story wrapped up in the way that God delivers His people. So look at Exodus 12, verse 21 through 25. It says, Then Moses called all the Israelites, or all the elders of Israel, and said to them, Go and select lambs. They're there to grab a lamb. Now, the lamb was for su- a substitute, Okay? We looked at substitutionary atonement last week. God provided a a ram to be sacrificed instead of Isaac. He says to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop. Hyssop was a a common bushy plant in that region. It would grow on rocky surfaces, so it could be kind of used to, to almost brush Uh, to brush things, okay? So take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood from the lamb, okay? They were to sacrifice the lamb, dip this thing in the blood, and basically touch the lintel. The lintel is the header around a door. So the lintel is the header and the doorposts, the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. Then he says this, None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. The, sh- the plague was about to come. God would send an angel of death to strike the firstborn in Egypt. and says this, For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood on the lintel, the blood over the header, the blood on the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. Now you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And so, you know, Jews today still practice Passover, which commemorates the fact that God spared the firstborn children of of the Israelites. That as they obeyed the instructions and there was a lamb slaughtered in place, they would wipe this blood across the door. That would... That would indicate to this angel of death that these houses were protected and that God had provided a substitute in the lamb. Now that is a foreshadowing of Jesus, who would be the Passover lamb. So in response to the tragedy of the plague, Pharaoh finally released the enslaved Israelites. But then he had another change of heart. He let them all go, so Moses says, we better be on our way. So two to three plus million people head out. From Egypt. Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he chases them with his armies into a corner. And they were pinned up against the the Red Sea. And God again provided. There's a great book on on God's providence, if this whole area really interests you. Jot down, it's The Invisible Hand by R.C. Sproul. It's It's a great book talking about God's providential hand through the scripture. Just the way that God works ahead of time. But God again provided through his hand, he parted the waters, allowing the Israelites to pass through on dry ground. And then at the moment the last of them passed through, God caused the waters to recede and the entire Egyptian army that was pursuing them was swept away. And there are major lessons that we need to take away from this piece of Israel's history. First, they needed God's power to free them from slavery. They had to choose faith to obey the specific instructions. Moses said, this is exactly what I want you to do. It's a good thing that they they that they obeyed very carefully and that they didn't think, well, we'll just we'll hide in the basement or we'll we'll do this. No, he wanted them to do this exact thing because it was a foreshadowing of how he would redeem through Jesus. God's chosen method of deliverance involves sacrifice. This theme is not incidental. God's instruction on their deliverance would involve this sacrificial lamb. Look at First Peter in the New Testament. Peter wrote this. This is a reminder for the church. This is after Christ. Knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus was the substitute who took our place. When you read these stories in the Old Testament, it's intended to alert us to something that is coming as God is going to fulfill His promise. As He offered up the ultimate sacrifice, who Jesus was the Son of God, offered up on our behalf. He took the sin of the world upon Himself so that we could be forgiven and relate to God here and now. Jesus' sacrifice was not just a random act that He would die on the cross and shed innocent blood. This was all, again, part of God's plan. Everything was pointing towards this ultimate act. Even in the garden, when God promised that the offspring of the woman would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan would be the one that wants to enslave the whole world. Satan wants to enslave the whole world so that the world would not be victorious. So God's people cannot live a life of victory, but God would provide a substitute at just the right time to break the power that the enemy has, the power of sin, the power of death. Abraham, he was instructed to offer up his son as a sacrifice. Again, this was just a test of Abraham's faith. But again, God provided a substitute in his place, in place of Isaac. Again, here in Egypt, we see, again, God's just providing what is needed. And this is critical to understand this. Here's the point. You begin a relationship with God by accepting Jesus as your substitute. This is why this is so important. You begin a relationship with Him by saying, Jesus, you're my substitute. I did not have to die for my sin. You died in my place. And you continue a relationship with Christ in the very same way. The way that you began it, seeing Jesus as your substitute, is the same way you continue walking with Him. Our tendency in life is to fall back on self-reliance but it's futile. Instead, we need to refuse to rely on our own power to save ourselves. We need to reject the pride that that fuels self-reliance. Whenever we try to power up on our own good works and think, God, I'm really putting a life together here. Look at me. Look at me. Do I look more favorable to you, God? We need to refuse the pride that comes up when we do good. And we just need to reject the pride and we need to thank God again for the substitute that was given in Jesus. I, I want to encourage you to either... Maybe for the first time, respond to God's rescue plan or to remind yourself of how you have already been rescued. These these stories ought to do that. They ought to stir in us a a sense of gratitude for those that have already come to Christ. Just say, God, thank you for having a plan. It's tempting for us to look out for our own rescue plan. Instead, we should just receive or stand firm on what we have received already in Christ. Uh, I want to draw your attention to these next steps. There's just two of them this morning, and here they are. The first is this, is that you might be at a point where you're ready to accept Jesus as the substitute payment for your sin. You may have never done that before. That, that is a life-changing decision, and so we would invite you to do that. If you check this, we will follow up with you and make sure you have a clear understanding of what it means to become a Christian and understand how to follow Christ, how to really know Him, to understand what He's done to rescue you. And then second, just continue to rely on Him to free you from slavery to sin. I want to pray. So would you join me in prayer? Father, thank You for Your great love for us. Thank You for Your kindness to, through Your hand, move in ways that would allow us to come to know You. Thank You for this picture of a substitute. How we see that again with the Passover lamb, Lord, that that you would spare your people in order to gather to yourself a people of faith who would be your people, that you could be our God. Lord, we thank you for this understanding. We thank you for the reality that exists for us here and now. I pray for those that have never yet called you their God. Lord, that maybe you've been a distant God, but Lord, maybe today there's somebody here that is at the point where they would ask you to come into their life to be their God. We, we pray that you would move in people's hearts and you do that work of saving. For the rest, Lord, we just pray we continue to rely on you, rely on your power to save us. Not just if really save us from the power that sin has over our lives here and now, Lord. Thank you for giving us a hope beyond this world. We thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.